I became a Christian at age 24. Not as a child in church, not as a teenager going to a youth group, not as a college student going to a college ministry, didn't know that any of those existed. It's ironic that I then went and worked in college ministry for years. And not for two years until after I graduated from college. If you had asked me in my first 24 years before I came to faith what my perception of Christians was, it might not have been the most glowing description I could give. Didn't feel like to me that there was a lot of joy. Didn't feel like to me there was a lot of happiness. Didn't feel like there was a lot of freedom. It felt like there were a lot of rules and anxiety about who was following those rules and telling everyone else the rules that they needed to follow. Now, that I am a person of faith, I'm not certain that's entirely accurate, but I'm not certain it's entirely misplaced either. This morning, as we enter into the seventh chapter of Romans, Paul is going to invite us to consider the unique freedom and joy that you and I are called to live with on a daily basis. The freedom and joy that can be found only in following Jesus, that can be and ought to be ours today. Not someday, not when we graduate from seminary, not if we learn to translate Greek and Hebrew, not if we take another course, not if we're a part of another small group, today. The scripture passage we're going to be looking at as we do each week in this series is looking at chapter 7 of Romans, taking one chapter of this book each week of the summer. And I invite you to listen now to selected verses from Romans chapter 7 as we dive into God's word to us, this glorious call to us all today. Starting in verse 7, Paul writes, What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, if it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. (laughs) Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here today and lead us on a path of living as you have called us to. We pray for all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we said last week, chapter 6 of Romans and this week, chapter 7 of Romans, kind of function together to talk to us about the place of the law, the religious rules. And in this chapter where Paul kind of brings this this argument and this description of the law to a climax, what he essentially is saying in this passage is that for followers of Jesus, the law has one primary function. One primary function for followers of Jesus. And the primary function of the law for followers of Jesus is that it teaches and reveals to us our limitations. It reveals our limitations to us. This is what the primary function of the law is. Now, this is not something that when we hear, you're like, freedom, joy, and limitations, right? There's not things that we normally associate together. Because we have different narratives that exist in our lives. We have different narratives that exist in our culture that talk to us about how limitations are things to be powered through, things to be overcome. Anyone ever heard the narrative, the line... If you work hard, you can do anything? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Because you really care about the person you're saying it to? If you work hard, you can do anything. You can do anything. We get little quotes sent to us on our phone that remind us that you are special and can do anything today. I loved it when my parents said that to me when I was young. Thomas, you can do anything. You're like, yeah, I can. That's right. Except for the rules that you tell me of what I can't do, mom and dad. (laughs) As a parent, I've said that to my own two daughters. Because I do believe in them. And the gifts that they have been given by God. And that's our American narrative, right? I mean, that's the American dream when you hear a politician define it. If you are willing to work and sacrifice, you can do anything. You can accomplish anything. You can be a success. It's a great narrative. It's a narrative that in the moment makes us feel good. And what Paul is saying that the point of chapter 7 in the law is, is to say to us, it might be a great narrative. It's just not true. It's a lie. It is a falsehood that sets up a certain reality. And Paul says, look, I'll I'll prove it to you. We're just going to take one of the commandments out, just the tenth of the ten commandments that was given to Moses, just one of them, number ten, this would just, just try to do this, don't covet anything. Just that one. We're not going to worry about the 600 plus other ones, just focus on that one. 
Just don't covet anything. Well, what does that mean, thou shalt not covet? Well, what it means is you're not going to be jealous of anyone. Well, that's a word we don't like. We're mature people and we don't get jealous. You know, that's kind of for other people. So it's this. Here's the other way of putting it. This is at the heart of it. Don't desire what anyone else has. Don't want their life. Don't wish that you were born into more advantageous circumstances like they were that gave them more opportunities and an easier road. Don't wish that you had the income level that they did. Don't wish that you had gone to the school that they did. Don't wish that your kids were a little bit more like them. Don't wish that when you worked out as much as they do, you wish you looked like them. Don't wish that you had the kind of gifts and talents they do. Don't wish that you had the car or the place to send your children to school or the resume that your grandchildren or the honor sticker. They don't want any of that. Be perfectly content with everything that you have. And when you see other people who are really seem content and, and, and serene, don't want to be like them. Because you can actually covet what seems like a lack of covetousness on the part of other people. And you can't do that either. Just that one. Just do that one. You work hard and you can accomplish anything. Great. Do it. Just don't covet. Friends, it's not just about our actions. That's about the desires in our hearts. Paul's point is this. You can work as hard as you want to on that and you are chasing a mirage. And if that's true, we have to realize what these narratives in our lives and our culture mean. If you work hard, you can accomplish anything. What does that say to us? Not only can we accomplish anything and we can do all of these different things, but it means that accomplishments are the things that we value. It means that accomplishments are the things where we find meaning because those are the things that make us feel like we're going to be important. This is, it creates, starts creating all these different threads and narratives that are tied together. And Paul is saying there is a different way of living. And while we are going to have, uh, uh, t- have to take a lot of time to talk about what this different way of living is, and, and that's why there's more chapters to the book of Romans, there's two things in this passage that I want to hold up to us today that if we chose a different path, a path of faith, that we ought to have in our lives, that we ought to see in our lives, because we see them in this text, in these words, that start with admitting that we are limited, broken, fallible people. That's where it starts. And the th- two things that we should have is that, number one, we should have great freedom in our lives. We should live with a freedom that the world looks at with awe and wonder. And secondly, we should have incredible joy. Now, why is that? Why should we have freedom and joy if the basis of the law is to teach us how limited we are? Well, the first reason is this, and we see it right here in the words of the Apostle Paul, is that when we can have the freedom to admit our own limitations, then that allows us to live with a holism and and an honesty that is not possible in any other way. Because when we don't have this ability to publicly acknowledge our brokenness and our incompleteness and the things we can't accomplish, then it sets us up to live what Paul says here is a life of slavery. And we see it in our own lives and we see it in our culture every moment of every day. And the slavery we live behind is the idea of this this bifurcation, this separation of my public life and self versus privately who I am. 
And so we work our tails off to cultivate an image of ourselves on Facebook, to cultivate an image of ourselves at work, to cultivate an image of ourselves with our friends, to cultivate an image of ourselves and how we look and how we dress and the things we do so that people look at us and see ourselves and our children and our grandchildren in a certain way. Think of it like this. On the patio outside, or when you see someone in your 30-second elevator speech and they ask how you and your kids are doing, how many of you start going, let me tell you how broken we are? <laughs> None of us do that. Well, you know, I don't know, things are going all right. It's busy, and, you know, they got into Georgetown and everything else. And, like, yeah, but, you know, how about you doing? Well, we've accomplished this, and then, you know, they're going to go to this camp, and they're going to do this thing that they got into in school, blah, 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 blah. It's this, this constantly putting forward an image of look how much we're doing. Look how much we're succeeding, and that means we're worth something. We've worked hard, and there is no limits to what we can do. And Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome and going, it's a terrible way of living. You don't want to live this way. It's, it's, a hip, it's a hypocritical way of living. It enslaves us in a certain thing where we are constantly on edge and constantly seeing other people as competition. Paul says this in his words by saying that if we can be honest that we can say, we are all broken people. He says that here, he, he kind of goes the different way of, uh, of someone who is in a position of leadership. In a position of leadership, Paul would be writing these people going, these are the things I've done. I, I wrote to the Galatians. You may have read that somewhere. That got uh, quite a bit of attention. And I was a Pharisee. I was chosen among all the people of Israel. I was the best of the best, the brightest, trained by the breast. Uh, you know, I've done all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and yet what he does here is to say, I tried to follow the law and all it did was make me a hypocrite. He writes to this church in Rome talking about what a wretched person he is before he's even met them. Why? Because he doesn't have a good sense of self-esteem about himself? No, because he's living in honesty. If you look around this room right now, there are all different kinds of people who are doing amazing things. People whose families are doing amazing things. People who have had wonderful careers. People who have uh, dedicated themselves to different nonprofits. Wonderful things in this room. And we can look like we've got it all together. And we'd like you to think that we have it all together. But here's the deal. What unifies every single person in this room is that we acknowledge we need saving. That's the only criteria for being here, is acknowledging that we are broken people who need saving outside of ourselves, and it is in Jesus that we find the grace to be saved. Isn't that wonderful? I one time had a, a young woman who was a seminary student in Atlanta that uh, was interning at our church, and she said to me about being a pastor, her anxiety about being a pastor, and she said, you know, this is just, I just don't know if this is my calling, because like in the end, like, my life isn't perfect, and like, I can't stand up there, and people are going to look at me and say that I'm a hypocrite, and that I haven't got things figured out, and who are you to tell us what to do? And you had to look at her and say, listen, uh, if, if that's what ministry is, then there would never be anyone in any teaching role on any subject ever. Because it's not about you being the expert and then having it figured out and then telling other people do it like me. It's about saying that this is how God is at work as best as I can determine in my imperfect, incomplete life. We are fellow travelers on a journey of grace. And Paul's just admitting that here. It's freedom. In a culture that talks all the time about authenticity, we should be on the forefront of that. Because 
we have been loved and justified by God, as he writes in the early chapters about. And nothing that the world can give us can add to that, that sense of value and worth. God loves you more than you can imagine. You are the beloved son or daughter of God, and nothing that the world says to you is negative can take that sense of worth away. That gives you freedom to be yourself. Secondly, not only does it allow us to live in holism and in a holistic way and in freedom and in honesty and in authenticity and all these words that we crave, but secondly, it allows us to live with joy. Now, how do we think about the word joy? Well, C.S. Lewis, as we've talked about here, says that joy is the presence of purpose. It's not about just a feeling or an emotion. It's about the presence of purpose in our life. And the purpose we have comes from God saying, number one, I love you as broken as you are. I love you completely and credit you with the righteousness of my son. But number two, I then give you a call to go out in the world and to become a co-laborer with God in the things of the kingdom. Every day you are given a calling, not a career, a calling. Every one of us is given a calling. And that calling comes as a response of a God who loves us. And so there is a reason that you were born and placed in this city at this point in human history as a part of this community with the skills you have and the passions you have. And it is to make a difference. Paul might be a wretched man who has been who is not able to do what he wants. He has this great definition of sin. I do what I know is wrong, and I fail to do what I know is right. Just like all of us, there's something in me that is too broken to work hard, and I can do anything, gosh darn it. And yet, he's still writing the letter. God has now called him into this place by God's grace, given him purpose and God has given you a purpose as well. God sends you out every day, wherever you live, wherever you work, and where you play, no longer to desire and to be motivated by success. But when we're called, our motivation is to be faithful. What does it mean to think about where you live, work, and play that way? What does it mean to think about where you live? Not as, how does this house make us look a certain way, and how do we have the right stuff, and how do other people look at us and say, well, they've got it figured out, or you know, everything else. But what does it mean in our neighborhood to say God has placed us there? And what does it mean today to be faithful in your neighborhood? What does it mean where you work to think that way? Not to be motivated by success and just the bottom line and just who can get a promotion and just how you can out-compete other people and how you can just rise to the top so that you know you're somebody and there's a who's who that says that you are somebody. Because what we learn is when you climb to the top of a mountain and get there, all there is is another mountain to go climb until you're too exhausted to keep doing it anymore. What would it mean to be motivated where you live and work by being faithful? Faithful to your coworkers. Faithful to the mission that you've been called to. Faithful to the customers. What does it mean to think in those terms of being faithful versus successful? That can only happen when you're called, not trying to prove yourself or where you play. Friends, these narratives of success and of accomplishment, these narratives of everything we can do run deep within us. And Paul is seeking to root those out and to say, there's a different way of being. There's a different way of living your life. And it doesn't start with how special and wonderful and accomplished you are. It starts with being lived in by our realization of how much we need something more than us and how that something more than us, God, has met us and called us to live in freedom and honesty about who we are and joy. I was reminded of that this week. 
Actually, it was, uh, it was like three weeks ago. I was reminded of this, uh, I'm reminded of this every day, but I was reminded a few weeks ago because it was a Sunday and uh, I had preached in the four services and I got a gift that I, I don't always get, which is that Beth and Miriam and Hannah, who I love and I always love it when they're around, but all of them had different things to go do. And I was at home by myself on a Sunday afternoon. And so I was like, I am taking a nap and I don't have to explain to anybody and I don't have to say when I'm getting up and I'm just taking a nap. This is just what I'm doing uh, because this is, this is I, and I'm happy. Right, But I made a tactical error when I lay down and that I didn't take the phone off the hook. Now, we still have a home phone because it's the best rates we can get for international calls to the UK and we've looked into all these different things and so we still have a home phone, but no one ever uses it so I don't think to take it off. I'd silence my cell phone, which we use, but, but our home phone and, and it rang. Like, you know, right at that point where you're like 20 minutes into the, I mean, just kind of starting to go kind of really into that restful period you know, just taken out of that, phone rings. And I pick it up, and I'm kind of groggy, and, uh, and I said, hello. And there's this voice on the other end going, is this Thomas? And I said, yes. He said, Thomas, this is Matt Crow. Like I was anticipating Matt Crow was just going to call me on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. But there was somewhere in the foggy recesses of my brain, you know when this happens where you hear a name, and you're like, that, I know that name. I don't know where I know that name. He said, we went to high school together. <laughs> of course. How, I was waiting for your phone call, Matt Crow, this afternoon. <laughs> How did you get my number, and why are you calling me? Uh, and he said, I am on. He goes, you're not going to believe this, but this coming fall is our 25-year high school reunion. And then I woke up. I was like, what? <laughs> And he's like, no, it's our 25-year high school reunion. And so the committee, because, you know, I guess it was started by Presbyterians. They had a committee to, to, to organize this thing. The committee is calling all of our alumni individually and inviting them to come. And it's this weekend, and it's going to be in September. And it's got, you know, football games involved, and then Saturday, and then Sunday. And we hope that you'll come. Will you be able to make it? And I said, no. No, because it's in September, and weekends are the worst time for me to try to get away. Now, I didn't say if I lived half a mile away, I probably still wouldn't have come. But I was 1,000 miles away, and so it was like an easy excuse. But then that wasn't enough, and so Matt Crow, who I still don't really remember, said to me, so what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. And it was clear from his reaction that was not the career path he had me going down <laughs> as a junior or senior in high school, and then I said to him, I said, what are you doing? And he has this great job, and he's kind of working and everything else. And then there was this silence, and it's kind of this awkward silence, because I was honestly, and this, I'm confessing this, we're broken people, right? I was ready to get off the phone at that point. And you're like, okay, Matt, um, and it's just silence. And so I felt the need to say something. And so I asked him a question. I said, are you looking forward to the reunion? I don't know. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know what these reunions are like. Now listen to this. Everybody's starting to diet for this already. Everybody's starting to worry about what they're going to do and kind of what their resumes are. Everybody's getting their elevator speeches ready. And he said this, because the kings and queens of high school are never the kings and queens of a 25-year reunion. We're still playing this game. This game that Paul says to us is slavery. 
This game that is about what we've done and what we've accomplished and how we're a success and what we put out there and how we hide the places where we don't feel like we've fulfilled everything and how we promote those places where others are going to look at us in a certain way. It comes from this idea that I have achieved something, that I am worth something, that I have put myself to something, that my life counts for something. And we're still playing this game and we haven't figured out that no one ever wins at it. There's no winners to this game. We just keep playing it again and again and again and again and again. And Paul is saying that this is not living. He's saying there's a different way, a better way that starts with the law teaching us our limitations and saying we can go into a high school reunion or to a party or to our workplaces or to our neighborhoods going, I am the chief of sinners because I don't need your approval to make me feel better and nothing you can say takes away my value. Not because I don't care, because my value has been established by the Lord of hosts. In his grace, he has justified me. And there is nothing that can be added or taken away from that. We should be trumpeting how we live in this world. And then to sit there and say, and not only am I incomplete, but could you believe it that God in his wondrous grace has still called me to be a father of two amazing little girls. Can you believe that God would allow me to do that? That God has called me to be the husband of an amazing woman. That God has called me to be a pastor of an incredible church. Me! You're right, Matt. I laugh at the idea that I'm a pastor (laughs) of a church. That's the beauty of the whole thing, that God in his wondrous mercy has called me to do that because I don't need to try to be successful on the totem pole of who is the king and queen where and where do they stand now and how does this whole game work and who's going to be at the 50-year reunion and how do I do this? But because I just, in my best moments can just try to be faithful today to the wondrous God who has called a wretch like me. How wonderful, how much joy, how much freedom comes when we start with how limited we truly are. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day you would lead and guide us towards freedom and joy. This day, this moment, this hour, because we are loved. Loved. Beyond anything we can earn. Called. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.